I, I landed in Vietnam on June 2nd, right on my birthday. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, we had a rocket attack. And the rocket came over my head, and I could actually see a trail of fire from that rocket. The, the bunker was like 20 yards in front of me. I had just come out the shower. All I had on, and it was dark, and all I had on was a, a pair of flip-flops, a towel, and a toiletry bag. That mess scared me so bad, I run around like a chicken with his head cut off. All I had to do was run straight, and I'd have been in the bunker. Right. Guy grabbed me and guided me into the bunker. I'm standing up there. I was so scared, I peed on myself. My name is Deontay, and this is the Made You Look Podcast, Run Through the Jungle episode, part one. The momentum in America right now is for dramatic change. In the last few weeks, we've seen protests calling for everything from police reform to abolishing the police in all 50 states and across the globe. I consider this to be a flashpoint of modern American history. Knowing that history is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day, as historian John Henry Clark said, I thought about another flashpoint in American history where mass protests, violence, war, uncertainty, and an abundance of black death were a sick and twisted norm. I'm talking about the Civil Rights slash Vietnam War slash Black Power era. There is no shortage of books and documentaries on the subject, but I have the benefit of having two people in my life who are extremely intimate with that era in American history. These men are black, they served in the Vietnam War, and they have strong opinions about what America was then and what America is now. One is a friend of the family who I have known since the day I was born, Frank Pierce. The other is my uncle, Augustine Sproul. I call him Uncle Teen. Frank is blue collar to the core, a tough man, a family man, and a hardworking man. To get a picture of what Frank is like, imagine the blue collar character played by Charles Dutton in the 90s sitcom Rock. As you will hear, Frank says exactly what is on his mind, and he does not require a lot of words to do it. Okay, Frank, I want to know, how did you first find out that you were going to Vietnam to fight in a war? My name came down on the list. So you were drafted? No, I was, I, I was I had draft papers, but my father told me to go join. You know, he was trying to get me to avoid going to Vietnam. You know, uh, I got my draft notice, and he told me to go join. I had to serve three years instead of two. He said, but uh, I might avoid Vietnam if I could find something that I wanted to do that might keep me out of, you know, keep me out of the war zone. So, uh I was reading a newspaper that day, believe it or not, and, and, and they said they had a critical shortage of x-ray technicians in the greater metropolitan area. And so I, I went down to recruiting office at uh, Florida Avenue, uh, right there with Florida Avenue and Bennett Road and um, H Street Meet. They had a recruiting office down there. And uh, I asked them, did they have uh, x-ray technicians, you know, you know, sitting in school? They said, yes. Yeah. So I signed up, passed all the tests and all that stuff. 
and uh, then I went home. And your your like you say your your father essentially wanted you to sign up for the army and take up a particular skill that skill that, that might keep me out of out of a war zone. How did you personally feel about the war? Before you signed up for the army, like did you have any... like everybody else? I thought we were doing the right thing, mm. you know, until I went over there, mm. and I found out we had no business being over there at all. The moment that you that you're told that you're going to Vietnam to fight in the war, um, what what were you feeling inside? What, like what did what did said, you think? I just said, "Damn, that was it." How long did it take? before they told you you were going to Vietnam when you were enrolled in the Army? Like, how how long were you in the Army before they I said... I've been in the Army over a year. So you've been there over a year. Yeah, so you go to your training, and mm-hmm. then if you don't go over there, they, uh, they send you to your duty station. My duty station was... I went through basic. I went to uh, uh, med school, and, and, and then I went to uh, uh, jump school, you know, airborne, paratrooper. And, and and then they sent me to the 82nd Airborne Division. What was your unit when you were over in Vietnam? 326 Med Battalion. Then I was attached to uh, uh, 327 uh, Infantry. And um, they sent me out with a, uh, uh, a LERP squad one time. So you were a medic? Yeah. How many tours did you do? I did 16 months over there. 16 months were all 16 in combat? No. How how many months in combat would you say? I went on maybe three or four missions total. I got lucky. Before the war, you felt like America was doing the right thing, but you found out when you got over to Vietnam that that wasn't the case. What specifically did you find out when you got there that changed your mind? Well, the white guys got to talking, you know, and what they were saying, and I was listening, and I said, "Well, I'll be dead on." No. I said, "This, this ain't about communism, you know. This, you know, this is about money, you know. Mm-hmm. That's all it was, you know." So, so the business being over, but, 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 and then when I came home, I heard all the negative stuff about, you know, the Vietnam War, and I started digging, and I mean, from nineteen seventy. I guess from 1973, you know, know, when I really started digging up until today, I found out, you know, they told us so many lies about that war, it didn't make sense. What years were you over there? Huh? What years were you over there? Uh, 70 to 71. So you you were actually over there after uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. Right. How did that his assassination, even though it was years after his assassination, how did the African-American soldiers feel about fighting in a war knowing Dr. King had been assassinated years before? Well, a lot of us felt like we had to be being over there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't feel like that at first, but I, I felt like that later on. You know, uh, an incident happened at Fort Bragg when I was tested at 82nd. We went to the movies, and when they played the national anthem, we all stood up and raised our fists up and bowed our head. Mm-hmm. And there was a full bird curling there, and he made him stop, stop the national anthem, you know, because they always play the national anthem, you know, you know, before they show the movie. And he said that we couldn't do that. So we all sat down. They started again, 
All of us black guys stood up and raised our fists up and bowed our heads. Every last one of us. Mm-hmm. So he said he's going to give us one more chance. And somebody said, doesn't matter, sir. We're still going to do it. Mm. You know, so you don't even have to do it again. You know, well, I'm not going to show the movie. So we, we just turned around and walked out. And that was every in- black every black soldier in that movie theater walked out. You ain't gonna get your money back at what number the quarter we didn't get. So so now we're in Vietnam, you're a medic. You now um have been your eyes have been open, so to speak, and you realize that what you thought about the war isn't what the war really is in terms of the purpose of the war. Right. And you're and you're actually going on uh some some combat tours. Can you, do you feel comfortable discussing your first time in combat? Like, what was that like? What were you, what was your mission? What were you doing? I, I landed in Vietnam on June 2nd, right on my birthday. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, we had a rocket attack. And the rocket came over my head and I could actually see a trail of fire from that rocket. The, the bunker was like 20 yards in front of me. I had just come out the shower. All I had on, and it was dark, and all I had on was a, a pair of flip-flops, a towel, and a toiletry bag. That mess scared me so bad, I run around like a chicken with his head cut off. All I had to do was run straight, and I'd have been in the bunker. Right. Guy grabbed me and guided me into the bunker. I'm standing up there. I was so scared, I peed on myself. How old were you? 19 or 20. That was 69, no, I was 21 years old. Barely adult in the ways of the world, so to speak. Probably so. Yeah, and you're coming out the shower with some flip-flops, a toiletry bag, and a towel around your waist. waist. And you see a rocket with a trail of fire go over your head. one had already landed, and and, and, and I I heard a sound, I looked up, and then I saw another one, you know, went straight over our head. And uh, everybody hung incoming, incoming. Then the horn started started blaring, you know. And I'm running around like a chicken with his head cut off, you know, because I, I like I say, I, I've been there two weeks, and I've been at that place one week, because you had a week going through orientation mm-hmm. before they sent you to your duty station. Where were you when you went to Vietnam? Where specifically were you in Vietnam? Like where were you stationed? And you do the Camp Eagle. Camp Eagle? Yeah. And what was, what was your I was mission? 60 miles, I was sixty miles north of the main. And what was you what was your 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 company's mission? Like what were you guys there to do specifically? We were a, we, we were a medical uh company. We were a medical battalion. Ah, okay. So sort of like a, a field hospital almost? Yeah, that's what we were. Okay. You, I assume, on a few, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I assume on those two, three, four occasions that you did um, go into combat, you all were actually, you were you were deployed with a specific unit walking through the jungle, um, yeah. executing a, a specific mission. Out of, out, of, out of four times I was out there, we came under fire twice. Came under fire twice? Yeah. What was that like? You know, you can't describe. You just scared as hell. Was it? Was it? Was it all? Was it? Was it at nighttime? Was it daytime? Was it like all of a sudden? Day. Mm -hmm. And you all were just kind of walking through the jungle, 
being careful, I'm assuming. Uh, well, one time we landed on the hot LZ. Second time we came under fire. What's a hot LZ? You're getting off the helicopter and bombs are exploding and bullets whizzing and everything else. But because of the training, you knew your job. I mean, that's like the first time somebody hollered medic. That used to always scare me. I used to always say to myself, Lord, if, if somebody get hit and they call me, what am I going to do? That scared the hell out of me more than anything. And, uh, I mean, the first time I went out there and the guy hollered medic, I had no idea how I got to him. Mm. All I know was I was over there patching him up. Did did you lose a great a lot of friends over in Vietnam while you were there? Uh, we by me being attached to a company, I didn't really know them guys. Mm-hmm. You know, but you see guys get killed. But there was a lot of people I grew up with that mm-hmm. died in Vietnam in my neighborhood. Yeah. There was about five or six of them. And they were in different areas of Vietnam, different divisions, different well, they companies? Well, they were older than me, and so they went in oh, before I did. Okay. You know, two of them, two of them was my age, but they joined at 17. That was Chucky and William Gordon. William Gordon got William Gordon got killed in February of 68 during Tech. Mm-hmm. Chucky got wounded uh, at Quezon. And uh, I talked to Chucky now almost once a week, you know. Mm-hmm. William got killed. Mike Jones got killed during Tech. William got killed during Tet. Nick got killed during Tet. They all got killed in 68. And these are the friends that you grew up with in your neighborhood in Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the guy, uh, uh, Boat Knight got killed. During, I think Boat Knight got killed in 67. And he you said, when you say in Tet, what, what is Tet? That was that was the Vietnamese holiday. That's when the, 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 the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong had a big offensive, you know, to uh, win the war. And it was a surprise attack, right? Yep. And it started at night. I wasn't over there, you know. But, you know, you know, but reading about it, I, I found out about it. You, I mean, I think they started hitting those bases. What they say, three and four o'clock in the morning. Hmm. And now, it lasted. I think they said it lasted two days. Straight. Yep. For not mistaken. Now you alluded to the fact that. Um, you came back different in terms of the knowledge of the war than you than you than when you went over to to, to Vietnam. Yeah. Um, what when you came back? How did you how did you view the anti-war protest, anti-war protesters? Um, how did you, as a person, change? after the Vietnam War. Well, I'm talking specifically about when you got back to Washington, D.C. I was quiet. I didn't like crowds. Any, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't particularly like sitting down with my back towards a, a door or window or something. I just always, and I, I never knew why until later on. Mm-hmm. When I started going through treatment down the VA. Okay. Uh, but, you know, a lot of us did, didn't know it, you know. When you say treatment, are you talking specifically about um, PTSD treatment? Yep. How long did you have to go through that? Or how long did you go through that for you to be able to kind of come to the realization why some of those things were happening to you? Or you were feeling certain ways? The class was nine to ten months long. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We went once a week for like three hours, I think. I think we went from one to three o'clock or one to four o'clock. 
And how? When, when did when did you when did you go through that 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 PTSD counseling? I, I don't know the year, but it's been about seven eight years. I think seven eight years ago. Yeah, seven eight maybe between ten and eight eight years ago. I I, I don't I can't recall. So we still we're still talking we're talking about the two thousands then. Yeah, yeah this is two thousand nine ten something like that. And like I say, I don't remember. You know, I would have yeah. to go and look to find out when I started the class. Right. You know, at the period of time, you forget about time. Yeah. You know. But you're still talking about it at, at least 35 years after you had already come back. Well, that's that's when I started, you know, uh, my cousin told me I, I, I need to go get help. Mm. You know, I mean, he was older too. He, he went through it before I did. And, and, and my psychiatrist told me the only thing that helped me, why maybe why I didn't get all the drugs and alcohol, because I was a single parent and I had two jobs. And then I would, actually I had three. Then I had a side job doing home remodeling. She said that's probably what saved me a lot, you know, because uh, I, I kept busy. Mm-hmm. But then after I retired, you know, then you know, then you see you see stuff on TV about Vietnam and then it triggers stuff, you know. Yeah, I noticed you mentioned that you weren't comfortable watching movies that deal with that that war. No, a lot a lot of guys don't. Mm-hmm. Some guys can, most don't. It's like that wall. I went to that wall twice. I couldn't go back. I cried both times. Were you the last time we went there, uh the the the, 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 the VA group that I'm in, um we had some of the guys wanted to go to the wall. I stayed on the bus. Mm. I went, but I did not get off that bus. Come on, I said, man, I can't look at that wall. I'd seen that wall twice. And a friend of mine, Chucky Charles Wright, Chucky told me, he said, man, that wall will mess you up. I said, man, that wall ain't going to do nothing to me. Shoot. Went down there with a young lady. I stopped dead in my tracks. Hmm. And that was the first time you went to the wall? Yep, that wall is all black. And then you got the all those names. And that's where it gets you. You see all those names engraved in that black stone wall. That granite wall, marble, whatever. And for the audience listening uh, to, to the podcast, he, what he's talking about is the Vietnam War Memorial Wall in Washington, yeah. D.C. Uh, yeah. So we let them know. Did you did you engage in any um, Vietnam protest activities when you got back, or how did you feel about the protesters or the protests specifically? Did you have a political opinion about that? I didn't see. I, I agree with. <clears throat> well, actually, uh, they only had one when I got out. They, they had one protest after I got out. You know, that was. I think that was at the Pentagon. I'm not. No. That was in front of the White House, you know. And but I didn't go. Actually, I didn't know. I don't even think I knew anything about it, you know, until they actually had it. How did the uh, How did the black soldiers, uh, while you were while you were over in Vietnam, feel about the position um, uh, Muhammad Ali had taken? Oh, we backed them up a hundred percent. So there were no no black soldiers who felt like. Because they were there, where they were there, not not that I saw. But you had a lot of white guys got mad at us (laughs) because we backed him up. (laughs) 
I'm curious about that dynamic over there. The, the 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 white soldiers and the black soldiers was it as segregated in terms of black soldiers? Uh, when you when, when you're in a combat zone, mm-hmm. you're gonna do your job. R- racism goes out the door mm-hmm. most of the time, not all the time, most of the time. You know, but uh, I probably experienced more racism in the military than I did before I went in the military. What other incidents did you experience besides that incident at the um, movie theater? I rubbed some doo-doo on this gang on Sergeant. <laughs> you, on, you on his face? Nah, on his chest. What was Why? What did he do? Uh, he was from Louisville, Kentucky. What happened was that we were going to make a jump one day. And a lot of times they let the families come out on the tarmac before we get on the plane. Right. And uh, we were going to be... We're, I think we were going to jump in Puerto Rico. I'm not sure. But we were going to be gone a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so... This guy named, uh, he's a little bit of Kentucky, I don't know his last name, his first name was Elmer, that's all I remember. But anyway, he, uh, 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 I just happened to turn around and in my eyes met his wife's eye. So she said, you take care of my husband. And I smiled, I said, yes, ma'am, I most certainly will, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when we get ready to get on the plane, he come over to me and say, I don't like that. I said, like what? You know, you know, you know, you're speaking to my wife. Oh. And I looked at it. I said, well, Sarge, I said, next time you bring out, you better put a sheet over. Mm. You know, you don't want nobody speaking to him. I said, oh, you don't want nobody black speaking to him. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, uh, you know, we got on the plane. I thought it was the end of it. But then he started, you know, hassling me a lot for stupid stuff. And I was in the bathroom one morning. <laughs> and he about Rebelly was getting ready to start. I need to get out there, you know, go to breakfast. Then I go to the bathroom. Right. And uh, so I told him, okay. So he come back in there again, knocking on the thing. I'm going to bring your ass out of this. I said, man, I got five or ten minutes. You know. So he kicked the door. And the door hit my knees. He said, you better bring it out here on a stick. When they say that, that means if, if you, you know, you know, in the bathroom or, or, or out in the fields or something, mm-hmm. and you say you're taking a dump. Mm-hmm. You know, it's old saying, you know, bring it back on the stick, make sure that's what you was doing. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking a dump. Mm-hmm. So I did, I cleaned myself off and everything, pulled my pants up, and I stuck my hand in that toilet. And when I opened that door, I rubbed that mess right on his chest. Then I went over there and washed my hand. That joker screamed to high heaven. <laughs> so did. What, what? What did did you get a disciplinary action after that? They sent me to see a psychiatrist. That was all. <laughs> did he? What? So all he did was just scream and run. Yeah, well, a couple of guys came and wanted to know what the heck was going on. I told him he fell. <laughs> he told me he fell. <laughs> uh, and, he, and that was in Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. Well, I told I told him next time I was gonna put it in his face. I guess that's why you know. He didn't report it. That's the best thing I could tell you. Did he bother you after that? No, he didn't bother me after that. He probably thought. But he got into it with another sergeant. (laughs) Got into it with a black sergeant. He probably thought you were plum crazy. And they went between them dumps. Man, Sergeant Smith beat the snot out of him. So he got into it with another sergeant, African American sergeant, same rank. He showed it. He didn't like black people. He mm -hmm. was Louisville, Kentucky. Clearly. But he liked Muhammad Ali and tell me. But Ali said he wasn't going to the military. Then he stopped liking it. 
but he ended up getting whooped by another sergeant, getting pretty much getting. Oh, oh yes, yeah, Smitty beat snot out of him. Smitty never hit him in his face. Hit him in the back of his head. Hit him in his stomach and everything. And he never, never hit him. Hit him in the... <laughs> no, well, can't leave no bruises. Right. You know, you know, he don't report him. He get in trouble. Right. And then you know, Smitty black, he white. You know, whose side do you think they're gonna take? Of course. Were those the only two incidents that racially uh, happened nah, to you? Nah, um, when uh, I was in Vietnam, uh, they used to, uh, as far as, you know, if a guy wanted to go see his family or something, you know, to leave, you know, they would switch the leave around. If a white guy wanted to go the same time, and they would push the black guys, leave back, stuff like that, you know. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, uh, I mean, God dang, they had, they had an all-black platoon, uh, you know, that went up, probably went on more missions than anybody else over there in the old Deuce. I'm not sure, you know, because I wasn't in the old Deuce. But, you know, but that was just by talking to those guys. What's the old Deuce? Uh, second 502. Is that Infantry Division or something? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the battalion uh, of, of, of the 101st. What was your What was your rank um, when you left the military? E- E5. What's that? Sergeant. 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 How many years total did you do? I got credit for three. I only did two and a half. Because if, if you extended it in Vietnam, they would let you leave six months early. Okay. So two and a half years in. Two and a half I, years in. Uh, two and a half years is it was your total time in the Army. You left as a sergeant. You were a medic. And you did about 16 months in Vietnam. You saw about two to three Maybe four combat tours. Yeah. Well, missions, missions. Missions, missions, I'm sorry. Missions. Yeah. Um, last question. Dealing with um, what you dealt with in terms of your, 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 your time in the service and going through war, even seeing combat a few times, looking at the way society is right now in terms of the protests in the streets, um, the, the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, the whole movement towards changing and the way law enforcement um, deals with the uh, Americans at large, but specifically the African-American community. How, how does how do you feel about what's going on now, the, the moment now and the movement now? And, and how does your experience in Vietnam kind of inform your opinion now? This is a terrible country. But I wouldn't want to live nowhere else. Mm. This is truly a terrible and most racist country. And we say we're not, but we are. I tell people, the downfall of this country started with Ronald Reagan. I don't care what nobody said. Ronald Reagan was not the greatest president we had. Ronald Reagan was one of the worst presidents we had. Number When Reagan became president, I always say that the head, the head of, of racism raised his head out of the grave. Mm. And then when George Bush became president, the son, his, he, you know, he rose a little higher. His chest came out. Mm-hmm. And and I'm and I'm gonna tell you, George Bush was a terrible president, the son. But I do not think George Bush was uh, a, a terrible person like Reagan and, and, and Trump. Cheney ran the country, in my opinion, when George Bush was was president. Because I don't think George Bush was smart enough. 
I do believe, I think Dick Cheney was the most dangerous man in America when George Bush was president. And I think the most dangerous man in America now is Bishop McConnell. You know, mm-hmm. you know, about this idiot we got. But, mm-hmm. uh, and then when Obama became president, the specter of racism stood straight up. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when this idiot took over, his twin brother came out the grave with him. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, I mean, the, the way this country, I can sum it up this way. I was looking at 60 minutes, and after Obamacare was passed, Morley Safer, I think it was Morley Safer, he had an interview with two guys, one in Mississippi, one in Louisiana. I don't know which said what, but, one, but, 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 but this is what happened. He interviewed one guy, let's say he was in Mississippi, and he asked the guy, what do you think of the first black president? That guy looked right in that camera and said, ain't no coon got no business being in the White House. Wow. And Morley Safer said, you know, you realize this is live. He said, I don't care. Mm. Ain't no coon got no business <laughs> being in the White House. Then he interviewed this guy in Louisiana, and he asked him, what did he think of Obamacare? And this white guy said, if I was dying and Obamacare would save my life, I'd rather die. Now, see, that's pure hate. Terrible country. What do you think, um, or do you think anything can change it? You mean racism? I mean America, yeah. Only only way things going to change, I made a statement to a couple of white guys, and they told me I was prejudiced. I said, well, if I'm prejudiced, (laughs) I'm prejudiced. I said that, actually, it was me and two other black guys, we were listening to about four or five white guys. They didn't like interracial marriage. Mm -hmm. So we walked back there where they were, and Warren looked there. And I don't know who who who, who said what. I think Warren said something. Warren said, ain't nothing wrong with interracial marriage. And so this guy named Bill Mueller, he said, yes, it do. It messed the kids up. And so Warren said, no, nah, people like y'all mess them kids up. Mm. Ain't nothing wrong with them kids when they born because one parent is one race and one is another. You know? And I did, and, and, and I, uh, then I said, I said, you know, it's, it's already been scientifically proven that the white gene is the weakest gene in society. Anybody y'all mate with, nine times out of ten, that kid gonna come looking out like that other race, not your race. Mm. I say, that's what I say. I hope we keep on having interracial marriage. I say, then, won't be no more white folks. Everybody be brown, or light brown, or whatever. So basically, Man, what you're saying is, in order for America to completely we, change its way, have to all look alike almost. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do believe white folks are being threatened because they're gonna be a minority in the next fifty to seventy five years in this country. Hmm. So you view you view that you view everything that is going on now as a part of their fear of becoming a minority? Yeah. All right, we'll have to leave it there, Frank. Thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you once again to Frank Pierce for joining me on this episode of the Major Look Podcast, which is part one of the Run Through the Jungle episodes. Part two will be published next week, and it will feature my Uncle Teen. Here's a brief preview. So they were actually firing on you from the trees. Yeah, that's up. So the one I'm here to, I don't know who it is, but we started 
Sure, man, I'm telling you, it was like birds, they were falling out, you know, because wow. you couldn't see nothing in the trees because they camouflage, camouflage so, so well. Okay. Thank you once again for listening. Any feedback you have is welcome. You can leave a comment on this podcast form or you can email me directly at madeyouluckpodcast at gmail.com. M-A-D-E, the letter U-L-O-O-K, podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to donate to the Made You Look podcast so we can keep producing informative content and grow in the podcast world, our cash app cash tag is dollar sign D-S-U-L-O-K. Zero one. See you next time. Be cool, y'all.